Hi guys, today I am chatting with the OG woman in the NHL community, Miss Andy Petrillo. If you aren't a sports fan, you might not be familiar with her, but she has broken boundaries and is a legitimate powerhouse. Listen up. So today I am chatting with Andy Petrillo. Andy is a Canadian sports broadcaster. She is someone who has broken many barriers for women in sports broadcasting. She was the first female to serve on a full-time basis with Hockey Night in Canada. And in February 2016, it was announced that Andy joined TSN as the new radio voice for the NHL team Leafs Lunch, finally becoming the first ever woman in Canada to have her own daily sports talk radio. She's also a host for the Olympic Games, which she first did at the 2015 Games. She's been the recipient of numerous accolades, including the Women of Influence Award. She's successfully been able to break glass ceilings to make it in a male-dominated industry. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me. What an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> you are very welcome. Well-deserved. <laughs> so for those who aren't familiar with you, tell us about yourself. Oh, oh, geez. Well, obviously, I love sports. It's always been a passion of mine. I've I played a lot when I was younger and, and quickly discovered that I'm, I'm not a very good athlete and I would not make it to the Olympics as an athlete. And so I knew my only route to the Olympics would be uh, as a broadcaster. But, you know, I, it's actually kind of funny because when I first got into broadcasting, I really did think I was going to be an investigative reporter. My parents, you know, they loved those cold cases or W5 or Fifth Estate or, you know, mm-hmm. you name it. And I used to watch it with them as a kid. And I used to think, I, you know, one day I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you know, a voice to the voiceless, right? I'm, I'm going to solve all these injustices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have a, a passion for that. And I loved it. But it actually was in college, I took a radio course, believe it or not, to go along with all my TV stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, every week, we used to have to do this one minute tape where you did the news of the day, traffic, weather, sports, right? You had to kind of do this all encompassing report in one minute. Mm-hmm. And then after about four weeks of bringing this to my radio professor, he just stopped it one day after my sports read. And he goes, you know, I've listened to about five of these now. And every time you do sports, your voice completely changes, your energy changes, everything changes. Ah. It's like you're having so much. Yeah, you're having so much fun. And I said, well, I love sports. Like I play sports. It's, you know, it's, it's what I enjoy. And he said, well, why don't you make a career of it? And I said, well, it just <laughs> never even occurred to me. It just never dawned on me that I could make a career of it. And I said, you know what? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I went to a local (laughs) station where I had been volunteering my time. And I just said, listen, I want to start doing sports. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, the rest is kind of history from there. Hmm. And why hockey in particular? You know, hockey is fascinating because, you know, as a kid, I absolutely hated watching it. If anything, I wanted, you know, my dad's attention and hockey took his attention away from me. But I loved playing it. Mm-hmm. And I, then as I started to get older, I started to hear stories of, so on my mom's side, my grandparents, when they uh, immigrated to Canada, my grandfather, you know, was always working these odds and ends jobs just to, you know, to make ends meet. And he ended up having this one job in particular uh, with the city and he would work, you know, cold nights in the sewers actually. And he would always be with a group of guys and they would be talking about the game from the night before. And mm-hmm. talking about Toronto Maple Leafs and my grandfather's like what are you talking about what is this game you speak of (laughs) and you know after he saved enough money you know they bought the tv and Saturday nights became a you know a a ritual for my family everyone would you know get together at my grandparents place my mom's place when she was little and they would all watch you know hockey night in Canada on Saturday night and they developed this love for the game this love for the Leafs and it essentially made them feel Canadian and 
you know, that got uh-huh. passed on to me. And yeah, I just, I do. I absolutely, I love it because there really is a connection there with, you know, how my family felt about it. And just, I mean, I just kind of developed really this organic love for it. So, I mean, I love all sport, but definitely mm-hmm. hockey was one I gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. It was definitely your favorite. So mm-hmm. before you went, you got your break with Hockey Night in Canada, that was all hosted by men? Yes. So men always had the prominent roles. And when I joined it, I want to say I was the fifth ever woman. So this was something that was launched like, you know, in the in the 60s or something. Mm-hmm. And I became in 2011, the fifth woman to join the crew. Yeah. How did you go about doing that? How did you get your way in there? Well, again, when you know, I'd been working at uh, Leafs TV. So, you know, I started covering the NHL. I moved up uh, to cover that when I, 2006. And I mean, the, the industry actually is quite small. And you just start, you know, getting to know people and meeting people. And I hmm. started to, um, you know, develop relationships with people who worked at Hockey Night in Canada and CBC. And then they were seeing my work and they were really enjoying my work. So through networking and also just through showcasing, you know, my skill... When an opportunity presented itself, the executive producer at the time reached out to me. What's actually interesting is he reached out to me the year before I joined. So what had happened was someone else needed to take a leave. And he asked Mm -hmm. me if I could do 10 games for the Montreal Canadiens, sideline, 10 games. Mm -hmm. And I said, my goodness, this would be incredible. And I went to my bosses at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. And I had worked with other people because we were considered, you know, we were a specialty channel. And we were, you know, owned by the team and worked for the team. A lot of other broadcasters, like a lot of my play-by-play guys and my analysts, they also worked for, you know, either Sportsnet or they did stuff for Hockey Night in Canada. So I didn't think it would be a big deal for me to say, hey, can I do 10 games for Hockey Night in Canada? Mm-hmm. But when I approached my bosses and asked them, they just flat out said no. That, wow. Yeah, I couldn't take away from my duties. And I just remember being absolutely heartbroken because I was like, well, wait a second, other people can do that. Like, why are you suddenly saying I couldn't do it? So it, act- it yeah. really broke my heart that I had to go to the executive producer of Hockey Night Canada and say, I'm really sorry, but I can't do these. And I thought that that was it. Like he was just kind of going to, you know, move on, find a replacement. And that was it. But the <laughs> following year, he was persistent and he came up to me again. He said, we're actually developing another show. And if I can offer you a full-time job, would you actually leave MLSE oh. to come to Hockey Night in Canada? Yeah. So it kind of backfired on MLSC. I mean, I loved everybody there, but it backfired on them. Like them mm-hmm. playing hardball with me for <laughs> Lucky Night in Canada to then offer me a full-time job to completely take me away as opposed to share me. So yeah, that's how it came about. He just really so loved my work. So they sought you out based on, yeah, your work and your voice and... Yeah, they did. They did. And then I joined them in 2011. And even though Hockey Night, you know, lost the rights, CBC lost the rights to Hockey <laughs> Night in 2014, I continued to work with CBC Sports. And that's how I, you know, I work with them every weekend on high performance sport and every two years on the Olympics. So I still have this wonderful relationship with CBC Sports. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy how the industry works, right? Just when you think you've lost it because you've had to say no at the same time is actually what he admired was, you know, my loyalty and my mm-hmm. commitment to, you know, my current employer. But then he also saw how badly I wanted it and then just was patient. And the next year, you know, was able to give me a full-time offer. Hmm. So you've been probably mainly surrounded by men. Is that correct? Yes. There are definitely a lot of men in the industry. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> so what's it like being a woman in a quote unquote man's world? 
Well, it's funny. I mean, things have definitely changed Mm -hmm. uh, in 2019. When I first started covering the NHL in in 2006, which, you know, it still doesn't seem that long ago, it was still very different. Mm. Right down to, you know, I mean, at the time I I ignored it or I didn't think about it. But now when I look back, I'm like, nah, it was totally because I was a woman. Like, and little things, nothing that's, you know, extremely insulting or anything. But like, for example, if, you know, there'd be a bunch of us, me and, you know, other journalists or reporters, but they all happen to be men and I'm, I'm a woman. If we're making our way, you know, to the dressing room, security would always stop me. Like, hey, do you have your credentials? Like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm with everybody else. Like, I have a job to do just like everyone else. So mm-hmm. I would always, you know, get stopped or, and this, I have to say, it wasn't really in the Canadian markets because we love our hockey here and progress so much with our hockey here. The Canadian actually quite used to having women around it was usually when I would travel with the team and I'd be in other markets oh yeah like so the funniest was I was in Nashville for a game and when I walked into the visitor's room like it went completely silent like even the (laughs) players were like who is that it was like an alien walked into the room I'm like it's a a woman I'm pretty sure you've seen one before So I, like, I had moments like that, right? Where people were like, a woman is here. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, the big bad woman is here. So it was just like moments like that. Or yeah, if we'd be standing by the ice, like watching practice, again, security would, you know, usually approach me and say, hey, can we help you? And I'm like, no, I'm perfectly fine. Thank you very much. But that was their way of saying, do you belong here? Can I get your credentials? And And it got to the point where my male counterparts were actually getting upset because they're like, why doesn't anyone ask to see our credentials? Why do they always ask to see yours? And I'm like, because I guess they can't wrap their head around, you know, a woman covering a hockey team, right? And they always wondered if I got lost down the hall, but I'm like, no, I'm exactly where I need to be. (gasps) So were you always confident like that? Yeah, I guess. Like, it's just, you know, I'm an only child. So I also feel, and I, I, by default, I don't even know if my parents made a conscious effort to do this, but by being an only child, you know, by default, I, you know, did what is considered the, you know, male things to do and the female things to do, right? Like what we typically attribute to being feminine and masculine. So it was like, I did the laundry and I cut the grass, you know, I did the cooking and I learned to change the oil in a car. Like it was just, I was always well-rounded at home and always did different things at home. My parents were always teaching me that I never really thought this is just a boy thing or this is just a girl thing. Like I did dance lessons and I played soccer, right? It was, okay. it was all these things and how I was brought up. And, and I remember, so the one thing that really stood out to me where I was really shocked, so this was before I even started covering the NHL. I got into a local station. I was volunteering my time. And I mean, the timing was perfect. I was graduating from broadcast journalism school at the you know exact same time that the sports producer and host was leaving for another job. So the position was open at this local cable station to be the sports producer and host. So I tackle our station manager and I said, I want this job. I want it badly. I'm graduating from school. So this is it. Like I can do this on a full-time basis. And our station manager was a woman. So it was, it was great to have her in my corner, but she's like, all right, this is perfect. You've been volunteering here for years. I Mm -hmm. really think, you know, I can make a case to get you a job here. And I said, perfect. And I'm all excited and pretty much think I have this in the bag because I had been there. So this would have been 2004 and I had been volunteering my time since 1999. So I was pretty sure I had this. And a few days later, I see her in the hall and I go up to her and I said, okay, what's the latest? And I just remember her almost looking embarrassed to tell me what she was about to tell me. And she Mm -hmm. said, well, we're still working on it. She goes, I want you to know that I'm not giving up uh, the fight. And I'm like, 
a fight. What the heck is she talking about? And she said, when I brought it to the higher up, their concern is having two women at the desk because right now the news host is a woman. So they don't know how they feel about having another woman on the desk doing sports. And I just Uh, remember being so dumbfounded. Like, I like to think I'm a pretty smart person, but I really couldn't comprehend what she was saying. I was like, what? What, what does that have to do with anything? Like there are two men at the desk everywhere, you know, yes. on TV. like who cares about two? And I, and that's why I mean, like you could tell she was embarrassed and she's like, Andy, I'm not letting this one go. That was an absolute, you know, BS excuse on their part. And I'm going to yeah. fight and I'm going to get you in because you've earned it. And she won. And I ended up getting the job, but I'll never forget that moment of what do you mean? My gender is going to hold me back from getting a job here. Like, yeah, because you don't want two people at the desk. So that was the first time it really kind of stood out to me. And I guess I've read, from that moment on, I was always adamant to never let it get in my way ever again. So I think that's why I kind of just bulldozed through people. Like whenever they said something or did something stupid, I just didn't even give them a time of day. Mm-hmm. I just kept moving forward. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> did you have to do voice training? Because I know that girls are often, they have softer voices or, you know, we do that upward inflection at the end of our, mm. our sentences quite often. <laughs> I come from an Italian family. Okay. There was no soft voice. I mean, if you don't yell, you're not getting heard. I mean, that is first and foremost. So, but I do know what you're talking about because there were, I mean, it's true. At the end of the day, you want to be able to speak with an authoritative voice. And I know in, in sports, they really want that. Like it has to be punchy. It has to be energetic. I mean, we're talking about sports. This should be fun. It shouldn't be like La La Land or, you know, or anything like that. So, I mean, I completely understand that. And I know that, you know, yeah, sure. I mean, there were some women who struggled with it. There were some men who had higher pitched voices who actually struggled with it too, right? Okay. But uh, no, I mean, I, I guess in that sense, I was somewhat fortunate in that I always spoke with confidence. I was always uh, mm-hmm. very loud. If anything, I had to learn not to drop my G's. I was always saying throwing, catching, <laughs> running, as opposed to throwing, running, catching. I'm like, Ugh, okay, so... Yeah, I just had to go through that. But, you know, what doesn't change in the industry, which is what I really appreciate, especially CBC, and this does typically happen as we're getting ready for an Olympics, they will always bring in a talent trainer, I guess, you know, so to say, or someone. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I appreciate it because you're always learning something different. I remember, so my first Olympics, the Sochi Games in 2014, I had a co-host. And I'm always used to like, you know, staring at a camera or, you know, kind of being on my own a little bit. So there is a trick to being with the co-host, like when to look at them, when to look at the camera, do you do it in the middle of a sentence or when the sentence is <laughs> done and then you turn. It's all these little things that, you know, when they brought in someone to work with us that you're still learning. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And so I really appreciate it. No matter where you are in your career, there's always something you're learning to make yourself better because in your head, you think you're doing the right thing, but then when you go back and watch it, you can see that, ooh, maybe that was uncomfortable for the viewer to look at or maybe uncomfortable mm-hmm. for the viewer, like sound-wise. And you're definitely always learning, but my voice, <laughs> it booms. <laughs> there, that was never an issue. <laughs> uh, have you found that it's changed much since like the Me Too movement and all that stuff came out? I mean, I'm sure it has for a, a lot of people, but If there's one thing I can say is I've been surrounded by a lot of incredible coworkers. Mm -hmm. So it almost wasn't like I felt a change around me or the people I was surrounding myself with. So I did feel, you know, very fortunate in that sense. But 
I mean, listen, I think a lot of people, you know, have definitely been more aware of what they say or how they treat people. But again, the amount of people I've been around who are so respectful. And I was also very fortunate too. I mean, I hate to say that, like, oh, I'm fortunate, I'm lucky. But, you know, that's the reality of it. But I also, you know, work with a lot and I still continue to work with a lot of phenomenal athletes. And I have to say, I mean, I've heard stories and they're true. And I'm, I'm not saying that they're not true. Just I've been very lucky where I've worked with, you know, male athletes who have been, you know, very respectful and they know what they can say and what they can't say. Yes. There are certain ones I have different relationships with where we've known each other a lot longer. So there are certain things we can say to one another, but other people understand, you know, that there's another type of relationship happening there. So it's, it's always been a wonderful working environment for me, I have to say. And again, speaking of, you know, changes, from 2006 to now in the industry, a lot more women are getting into positions of power, whether it's executive mm-hmm. producer or, you know, overall, you know, head of sports. So I've also been very lucky to work with a lot of women who also put women in positions to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And the men also understand that. So while I feel it's, you know, probably changed for a lot of people who, you know, sadly, we're not working with the right people. I think there are a lot more right people in the industry than wrong, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. It's great, obviously, the changes that have happened, but there's also some people that have gone too far with it and now they're just so overly sensitive. I would be so worried about saying the wrong thing or offending somebody, you know, with how I come off. Have you found that? I mean, in general, yeah, we have this conversation all the time. I mean, in fact, we're dealing with something right now in the sports world where, you know, one of the coaches has been accused of using racial slurs 10 years ago. Oh, I see. And yeah. Yeah. So how we're covering it, I mean, we have to be careful how we cover it and, you know, things that we say. So for sure, I think when you're in the public life, and you're right, especially in today's day and age where anything can be put out on social media and it can snowball and and gather Mm -hmm. steam very quickly. I'm, I'm always very careful with what I say. But I will always, you know, say, I will always try most definitely to make a conscious effort never to offend anyone. Mm -hmm. And if anyone were to ever, you know, write to me and say, hey, you know, that hurt me or offended me, I'll be like, listen, I'm sorry, but, you know, the intent was never there. But you're right, you got to catch, I definitely catch myself sometimes. I'm like, oh, can't say that anymore. Or Mm -hmm. that can be misconstrued. So, you know, I'll be careful with that. Well, I was going to say something as simple to your point. Like we had one of our coworkers, he's on, he's a former goalie. So we had him on, on the phone when we were talking about something. And then we kept hearing this beeping going on in the background mm-hmm. and I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. Anyways, he finally admitted that it was his car because he drives with two feet. You know, he drives with his right and his left. <laughs> so we just started to make fun of him because like, what are you doing? Right? Like he yes. drives like that. And because he was doing that, he was creating, like he was causing his sensors to go off because he wasn't making proper lane changes. And it was uh, pretty funny. We had, we had this really <gasps> funny segment. It was so obvious that we were teasing him and, and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So again, very innocent. And next thing you know, I get a direct message in social media and somebody writes to me saying, you know, I found that very offensive. I have MS. <laughs> Right. And we have to drive with two feet and that's what I mean. So obviously, like I throw my hands up, like, come on, I think it's pretty obvious what our intent was. But mm-hmm. you know what? Like I wrote back and, and I did say like, you know, our intent was never that we were clearly making fun of our friend. Mm-hmm. But if ever, you know, if that offended you, like I'm, I'm sorry. Right. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm not going to go online afterwards or go on air the next day and issue this massive public apology, right? But there are just certain things you think of them people don't. And then other yes. things where it's just you kind of having fun with your friends, that actually does offend. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. But, it's funny because um, I'll watch are, like a show now from like 10 years ago and it's like, whoa, you could never get away with saying that now. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no, no, no. You definitely couldn't. I mean, but I, having said all that, I think at the end of the day, we always know that, you know, making fun of someone because of the, you know, the color of their skin, their race, you know, their ethnicity, their religion, their gender. I think that goes without saying that that is yes. horrible yeah. and yes. you should never, ever, ever, it should never have even been accepted 20, 50, hundred exactly. years ago. Right. So I think it goes without saying that those should never be uh, accepted, but you're right. Other things sometimes, if I thought, you know, this would be funny, I'm like, Ooh, but that could totally be misconstrued. So mm-hmm. I just don't say it on the air. It's just, it's just being aware of the words that come out of your mouth when you know there's a microphone in front of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was watching something the other day and they came out with a, a line. I was like, oh my goodness, can't even imagine they would get massacred <laughs> if they said that. Oh. Now. Listen, I love the Golden Girls. I was like watching reruns of the Golden oh. Girls and things <laughs> that they would say. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's, <laughs> that's the Golden Girls saying things like that, right? But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, things have changed. I mean, we do, we evolve and I mean, it is what it is. And and again, like even now going back to, you know, the situation with the Calgary Flames, you know, and the coach being accused of racial mm. slurs, I went on record by saying, listen, I really like the fact that the organization is doing their due diligence and they're going through this whole investigation, right? They mm-hmm. want to talk to the player, get his side of it. They want to talk to the coach get his side of it. And I know a lot of people were up in arms because they were like, ah, just fire him. If he said it, just fire him. I'm like, listen, Mm -hmm. like other players have corroborated. Like there, it goes without saying he did say, and then he came out and admitted he said it. The end result made, oh yeah, he admitted he said it. But of course he's trying to say that the circumstances were a little different and that he did apologize. Now it's turning into a bit of a, he said, he said, but the bottom line is I I don't like, I guess, what are we calling it now? Cancel culture, right? Like yes. what I've never actually liked has been knee-jerk reactions to things. Yes. And I stand by what I said about even what's going on now. I said, I like the fact that the Calgary Flames are doing this investigation. The end result may still be Bill Peters losing his job. That may But at least they're the doing result. it in a fair way. 100%. They are looking at absolutely every avenue. And, and I go back to what I said when you know we first started this podcast. I wanted to be an investigative reporter in the beginning. The reason why I wanted to be that is because, again, I love telling the stories. I love getting to the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. And I quickly learned that there are two truths to everything, three or four, even five truths to everything, <laughs> right? And I feel like in many ways, we as a people, definitely we as journalists, are getting away from due diligence in yes. that properly investigating things. It's this knee-jerk reaction. And I don't know if Social media is a big cause of it, right? Because I remember when Twitter first came out, everyone in the media wanted to be first to get a story out, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to report that trade first. I'm going to report this story first. But it wasn't necessarily right. And the next thing you know, five, six tweets later, they finally got the story right. And I remember an executive producer pulling us all into the room when it was pretty obvious Twitter wasn't going away. And I remember him saying, I don't care who's first. I want you to be right. Ah. And, and, I, and I'll never forget that. And I said, you know, <laughs> congratulations, you have faster fingers than mine, but I'm going to make sure that if there's a story out there, that I'm going to get every angle and then I'm going to put it out there. And I feel like 
we've gotten away from that. Everything's so quick, just kind of put it out there, so quick to condemn, so quick to point the finger. That I like that they're doing this, and I really wish we as a society would get back to that. And again, I'm not saying that the end result won't be the same as in, you know, someone getting fired, you know, someone losing their job or someone having to come out and issue an apology. I'm not saying that that won't be the case, but we just have to properly listen to people. We're just no longer listening. We're just mm-hmm. constantly pointing the finger and berating. And I guess it's created this cancel culture, right? And yeah, I just, I do it not like people like love it. it. They love to yeah. hate. And you know what? And isn't that sad, right? Like, isn't mm-hmm. that really sad that that's what we're doing? And you know, and I don't know, I mean, there's a psychology, you know, behind it, too. And we're also finding our happiness sometimes through social media, as opposed Mm -hmm. to just going out and living our life. Like, that's all fine and dandy to see somebody playing, you know, rugby with the beluga whale in the ocean. But you know what, I want to be doing that, right? Like, it's just, (laughs) we're finding our hate and our happiness through social media. Maybe sometimes we need to just step away. (laughs) I know a lot of the things that people say on social media, they would never ever dream of saying in real life. No, that's the other thing, right? The keyboard warriors. I mean, it's gotten to the point and in, in sports, I'm always up for a healthy debate and I love it. And in sports, it creates an environment for that. I think, you know, somebody can be like, well, I think Lionel Messi is the best soccer player in the world. And I think Cristiano Ronaldo is the best. Like, and that's great, right? Like you state your case, have a healthy debate, you know, <laughs> conversation about yeah. it. Like the world of sports has created a wonderful platform for that. But sadly, you know, is you have a lot of people who will come at you and just, you're so stupid. And, you know, just because my opinion doesn't agree with theirs, uh-huh. suddenly I'm stupid and I don't know sports. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So it's gotten to the point where I've actually, like, I've turned my mentions off on Twitter. Oh, and wow. Yeah. So I don't see, unless I want to, I don't see it. And yeah. even on Instagram, you can obviously still direct message me, mm-hmm. but I've turned off, unless I follow you on Instagram, you cannot leave comments on my page. Because it was just getting to the point where, yeah, I mean, people were just being absolutely horrible. But also, you know, on the flip side, I didn't know where my happiness was coming from anymore. And, And I remember the night it hit me. So my husband and I, we were going out for a lovely dinner. And, you know, my husband looked at me and he says, you look absolutely stunning tonight, right? So he took a picture and yeah, we, you know, I posted it on Instagram as we all seem to do when we have our hair and makeup done, right? So I'm like, yeah, Instagram time, right? So I put it out there <laughs> and all these people were commenting. There were great comments, right? But then I caught myself and I said, well, wait a second. Am I feeling good? Because all these strangers have commented on my Instagram page about how good I look. Mm-hmm. Or am I feeling good because my husband told me I look stunning tonight? Like that should be mm-hmm. enough. That right there should be enough. So it was also getting to the point where, not only was it getting me down, but I also didn't understand, like I was also relying on it to make me happy. And that's when I was like, ooh, something is wrong here. It's a dangerous so, yeah. Exactly. So I know a lot of people said, oh, well, you've turned it off because you can't handle the criticism. First of all, I can handle a lot. Like you're talking to somebody who had to like bulldoze her way through a lot of things just to achieve what I have in my industry. Like yeah. I, I, I can handle a lot, but A, why should I ever subject myself to that kind of horrible criticism, not constructive? Mm-hmm. From people who don't and know me, you. Exactly. Like, you're not sending me a Christmas card. I'm not sending you <laughs> one. So not quite sure why we need to prioritize one another. But also I was stepping away because I didn't want to rely on it anymore for happiness. I was starting mm-hmm. to get confused with my own feelings. Like, was I feeling good because I was surrounded by family and friends? Or was I feeling good because of what strangers, the compliments they were paying me? through social media. So I just figured 
I need to get back in touch with myself. And that's why I silenced it. Wow, that's so, great. And I, I felt so good. <laughs> <laughs> Social media is such a job, curating mm-hmm. the, the posts. And well, I find it yeah. exhausting a lot of the time. Yeah, it is. And it's kind of frustrating because ever, especially since I'm on TV and radio, like we, that is the way we also interact with Uh viewership and and listeners. So our bosses want us to have it. So as much as I would love to just delete my social media, and trust me, I've had many a night where I'm like, I'm doing it. (laughs) And and then I get talked off a ledge, but I almost have to have it, you know, for the industry to promote a show coming up, promote an interview coming up, right? Like that's how you kind of rely on things now. So I have to keep it. I just had to find a way where I can make it fit you know, in my life as well, where it wasn't bringing me down. And sometimes I have to open myself up to it because on my radio show, it's all about being interactive. So we'll put poll questions up. We'll ask Mm -hmm. people questions. So I have to go through the mentions. I have to read them. Hmm. And, you know, in order to create that kind of interaction with the listenership. So it's a part of things, right? It's just, and especially it's a part of our job. So I'm just finding a way where I can keep it in the job atmosphere and not really have it be a detriment to, you know, my life outside mm-hmm. of work. I had searched to see if Don Cherry had social media because I was curious after all that stuff mm-hmm. happened. But luckily I don't think he ever had any. No, I mean he does have a Twitter account, but he doesn't run it. Okay. So he, he yeah, he does have somebody who runs it for him. Like he'll tell them what to say to put it out. But is he read like Did you work uh, with him? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I worked with him for uh, three years very closely. Yeah. It's sad. I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, again, I can really only, you know, speak to how he treated me and and what I also saw behind (laughs) the scenes. And it's it's interesting because he is It's so strange. I mean, he is such a gentle soul. He does have a different persona. It's like, what does Beyonce say when she's on? Oh, her Sasha Fierce. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's his alter ego. Uh-huh. And it's like whenever Don gets on TV, is his alter ego. But, you know, what he said, you know, aside, I'll just share, like, you know, another story of Don. So every Christmas, he would always give everybody. I remember my first year working on Hockey Night in Canada. He, even though we were still, you know, getting to know each other, uh-huh. he gave me this, you know, Christmas card and he gave, he gave everyone a Christmas card. When I opened it up, it was a $100 gift certificate. Oh, so, like, wow. And he gave that to everybody, right? And then he would always bring in treats and everything and, and share with everyone and like, yeah. So another story was, it was a very late night. Everyone's working hard. People who are in front of the camera, behind the camera, you name it, we're all in it together. And there was a sign over, you know, these trays of food and we're working late, like midnight. There was no end in sight. And the tray said, you know, talent only basically telling the crew who was still there working their, you know, rear ends off that they weren't allowed to touch it. And Don very calmly approaches, you know, these trays of food grabs it, turns around and goes to the entire crew. Here guys, my gift to you, eat. Right? Like there was no way he was ever going to tolerate that, you know, just on air people got food and like everyone else said, like we're in this together. We're all working together. We're all working the same hours and we all need food. And like, he would just Mm -hmm. do things like that. Like it was just, uh, you know, behind the scenes, he's a pretty incredible person. He was always so kind to me, but yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, he also acknowledged, you know, what he said. And again, you can't take things like that back, right? You have mm-hmm. to be so careful with what you say, because it can be either misunderstood or, you know, maybe he wasn't misunderstood and he continues to stand by what he said. 
you know, and that's his right to do so. But that's also his employer's right to say that's not what we stand for. Right. So mm-hmm. there you go. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because at first I was like, no, he couldn't have meant it like that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's also kind of the way he said it. And I think a lot of people, and of course, we're just assuming here now we're speculating because we don't know if he would have said it any other way. But I think a lot of people would have understood if he had turned around and said, I think we need to educate people just from the young people here to the older people. Like we just need to educate them on why we wear poppies and why it's so important that we wear poppies. It was the way he said it and worded it. Yeah. I mean, when you come at people again, like your finger pointing or finger wagging, you know, it's very offensive. And, you know, someone else shared a story, which I thought was pretty poignant, where he said, you know, we should really be embracing and teaching people instead of automatically assuming everyone is doing something out of, you know, some sort of malice. Right. And he said, he goes, you know, here's a case in point of someone new to our country. Right. He goes, I was asked, he goes, I, you know, he was buying a coffee and a young girl behind the counter they got to talking and then she said to him, she goes, why are people suddenly wearing all these roses on their jackets? So that was another thing. She didn't know what it was. Right? So yes. she was saying roses. And then he took it as an opportunity to say, well, they're, you know, they're not roses. They're called poppies. And, and here's why. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he ended up teaching her and she was like, oh, okay. So, and that's like, like don't always assume that people mm-hmm. are doing something because they don't care. Maybe it's because they genuinely don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and we take it for granted as Canadians because we've been here like our whole lives, right? <laughs> right. But what do they oh, know? Like, it, so I just think that instead of thinking the worst of people, and again, I feel like we're kind of coming full circle with our conversation, even on social media, like this constant, like the finger pointing and wagging and, you know, how dare you do due diligence and process, just get rid of them right away. And, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you're not doing this. And that means you hate us. Well, no, 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 no. That doesn't mean anything. Like, why do we always assume the worst? Let's just, you know, take mm-hmm. a step back, breathe, and, and not be afraid to help one another. It's not even so much, Absolutely. you know, yeah, educate, but help one another, right? So mm-hmm. I think, if anything, I think that's a lesson we should probably take from it, 100%. is that maybe a lot of times people don't know, and it's always worth striking up a conversation, and who knows, you may end up making a new friend, too. Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, any opportunity to help somebody, I think, is a a good opportunity if it's mm-hmm. learning or just anything. So now I yeah. want to bring it back though to being in a male industry. So obviously, you know, with the tech industry growing and all of those sort of things, there's a lot of women that are trying to to be successful in predominantly male industries. What tips would you offer them? Oh, wow. I guess at the end of the day, and it kind of may sound strange, but like I would almost say don't walk in there already thinking, well, I'm a woman, so I must be at a disadvantage Mm -hmm. already. Because subconsciously, then you probably are walking in with an inferiority complex. Yes. If you don't acknowledge your gender and you don't see it as a separator, Mm -hmm. then you exude that kind of confidence and you're sending out that kind of message. Mm -hmm. So I've always felt that way because, again, based on the way I was raised, like I said, being an only child, everything was available to me. Mm -hmm. You know, even things that were considered, you know, what the boys do or just what the girls, I did it all. So Mm -hmm. I never, ever saw really a division. I never really saw that boys stand here and girls stand there. Yeah. So I guess in some ways that, you know, from my roots, I was very fortunate in that sense. So that's the first thing I would say is if you go in there already thinking that, but it's true. I mean, psychologically, you know, I just gave a talk at an event where it was all, you know, women and and they were women entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I just said, you know, isn't it funny that 
oftentimes when a job becomes available, if we know we're not qualified for it, we're honest about it. And we usually step away and say, well, I'm not going to you know, submit my name for this job because yes. I'm not, I'm not qualified. Whereas a man who knows he's not qualified. Oh, will that's still so funny. I, I did a post on this recently because I had posted a job not long ago. And mm-hmm. first when I listed it, it was a senior management role and the applications were predominantly male. And then we reposted it later because we didn't get around to completing the entries and whatnot, but we changed the role to a junior role. And then it was predominantly women, but it required the exact same amount of experience. It was the exact same duties. Mm-hmm. By changing it from senior to junior, it was yeah. like, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know what it is. If there's like this fear that you'll disappoint or something, but like men are like, listen, I don't know anything about this job, but I'm going to learn on the fly. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make them, you know, not regret that they put me in this position. And I said, well, you know, women need to start thinking that way. We can learn on the fly too. In fact, we're yes. probably the greatest you know, <laughs> at learning on the fly and multitasking. 100%. So it's like enough of this garbage. And I just said, even if you're not qualified, you submit your name, you submit, 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 and stop thinking you're going to disappoint people mm-hmm. because all you're going to really end up doing is disappointing yourself. So I just said everything that's considered male characteristics, male traits, start adopting them because that's exactly what they are. They're traits, they're characteristics, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean men own them, Mm -hmm. right? Men and vice versa. And I said, there are a lot of men out there who are very, you know, sensitive. They're very caring. And I know that, you know, to some other men, that's horrible. Like, you know, oh my goodness, you're so feminine. What, like, what is wrong with that? What is wrong with being in touch with what's considered feminine characteristics? Feminine characteristics, male characteristics do not belong to a gender. They are just that, they're characteristics. And we all have the ability to have all of them within us. It's just which ones do we, you know, choose to bring to the forefront? And I mean, I am, I would say I'm considered very, you know, I have a lot of male characteristics. Mm-hmm. I have a Same lot of here. male traits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but uh, last I checked, I'm 100% woman, right? Like, <laughs> and, and that's okay. Right. So, uh-huh. I mean, that's just what I would say to women. And one line, I'm going to paraphrase, but one line that's always stood out to me was when Oprah Winfrey interviewed Michelle Obama and, you know, Obama, you know, sitting in on a lot of like very important meetings. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes she was, you know, the only woman at the table. And Oprah said to her, how does it feel like being, you know, the only woman at a table, you know, full of, you know, all these intelligent men. And Michelle Obama responded, well, you learn pretty quickly that not all of them are as intelligent as you think, right? (laughs) And I'll never forget that because men fake it just as much as we do. Like just, Mm -hmm. just go for it. (laughs) Yeah, just go for it. And I'll never forget that line. You know, they're not as intelligent as we think they are, right? So just go for it and it's a be big, that yeah, confidence thing and the finding the voice and using yeah. it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And again, in the world of sports, I remember having a conversation with a guy at a party. We were kind of sitting there shooting the breeze and I'll commend him for his honesty. But he's like, you know, Andy, I have a tough time listening to women because, you know, I know for a fact, I know for a fact they didn't play pro sports. So why should I listen to them? And I went, okay. And I very calmly started to list off hockey insiders, hockey play-by-play people, all these men. And I said, do you respect their work? Yeah, 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 I respect them. I said, do you know not one of them played pro? And the blood just drained from his face. And he went, 
I am so sorry. He goes, that never even occurred to me. He goes, I just assumed that when I saw a man talking sports that he must have played. I said, oh, sure. They played peewee. I played peewee too. Like, (laughs) who cares? I said, there are so many men in this industry who never played at the pro level. Yeah, you'll still put them ahead of a woman. And anyway, he kind of did like a 180. He's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. So, yeah, I mean, I've had to deal with that kind of garbage, too. But you just you ignore it at some point. Mm hmm. I think it's still not even in the male dominated industries. It's still prevalent just in across the board. It's not just a male dominated industry. It still does exist with the unconscious yet gender bias. It still does pervade different aspects of life, even though we are definitely making strides. Mm -hmm. We are. And, and, you know, even in my industry, like I said, I'm seeing it like right now, our new boss over at TSN is a woman. One of our executive producers over at CBC is a woman. So you're you're starting to definitely see, you know, the hard work pay off and you're starting to see women in in positions of of major decision making. But I will also say that I am, you know, a lot of the men that are still like, you know, either being promoted or being put in those places are also very aware of Mm. the importance, you know, of women and having that voice and what they bring to the table. So I think you have a lot more, I mean, what are we calling them? I don't even know, like the modern day man too. Yes. Who is realizing the importance of collaboration mm-hmm. and, you know, just kind of getting things from different viewpoints. And sometimes different viewpoints means different gender, different ethnicities, mm-hmm. different religion. Like, why would you ever close your mind? Why would you ever mm-hmm. shut the door on hearing from so many different people? Because sometimes they may bring up something that you're like, Huh. Never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just, it hasn't been your life or it hasn't been something that you've been exposed to, Mm -hmm. but perhaps they have. So I think you're starting to see more and more, like I said, of the right people now, you know, in those jobs. But I do think in a lot of ways, it has to start with women, like enough of the inferiority complex, enough of like, putting your gender at the forefront and thinking, oh, they're not going to give it to me because I'm a woman. You're already putting out that bad en- energy. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a yogi and I believe what you put out into the world, right, is, mm-hmm. is what you surround yourself with. Like, don't too. put that out there. Don't put it out there at all because then you give it power. Just completely walk in there with confidence and your confidence will be so overpowering. They won't know if you're man, woman, long hair, short, doesn't matter. <laughs> all they care about is that you walked in with a ton of confidence, right? Yes. That's all they care about thousand percent. I was surprised actually today I came across a study. It was a Harvard study and they had asked men and women about if men are better suited to careers and women to homemaking. And I thought, you know, 2019 that the results would be different, but it was 76% of respondents said that men are better suited to careers and women to homemaking. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. We're, uh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I'm pretty good at both. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> like that's how I feel. I feel like why can't people be good at both? Like, mm-hmm. and that's I guess that's another question I have is, you know, why if you're a really good cook, does that mean then that you're just really good at being at home? Mm-hmm. Why can't you also be a good career person? And vice versa. I mean, you know, my husband can sometimes fold better than me the laundry. So what, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like I just, I don't get it. Like to me, again, I go back to the male and female characteristics. That's yes. all they are. And no gender owns them. I we all very, have the ability to be both. When I was growing up, I was very similar. I took judo, but I also took tap dancing. 
Yeah. I liked collecting bugs, but I also horseback <laughs> ride. <laughs> I used to chase around the other yeah. girls with frogs. I'd kiss them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. And at the, I guess another thing, so here's another thing that I'll say. At the end of the day, you just also need to be happy with your choices yes. in life. Like, I'll never say, you know, because I'm a woman in sports, that every woman now should get into sports. And if yes. you don't, then you're, you know, you're sending women back into the 50s. <laughs> no, if you are a woman who is happy, you know, being at home or having a part-time job, or, then all the power to you. If that makes you happy, you go for it. And if you're a man who's happy having that high profile job and, you know, caring more about the career, then go for it. If that works in your life, go for it. And then vice versa, right? Like, I'm not saying that every woman has to do, you know, what we're doing, go for the top of the top job, become the Mm -hmm. president, don't just be satisfied, you know, with being the assistant. Like, Mm -hmm. who are we to say also, you know, how people should run their lives? I think at the end of the day, all I hope for, all I hope for is that the option is there. That's what I hope for. Like, if the assistant wants to be the president, don't tell her no. Like, if she's moving her way up, don't tell her no. That's all I care about. If she wants to remain the assistant, that's her choice. But if she wants to move up, I just want the option to be there and the fairness and the due diligence of saying she's earned it. That's all I really care about. That she can. Yeah. Because again, like, who are we to tell women that, oh my goodness, you had kids and you're not going to go back to work? Like, what? If she wants to do that, why is that any of our business? Right? Like, it's just... It's things like that. But again, like I said, I just want the option to be there. It's the same with men. Like if a man wants to take, you know, paternity leave or whatever, who are we to say that he's not allowed to do that? Mm-hmm. You know, and if a man is at home and the woman's at work, why would you make fun of him? Like the options mm-hmm. for everyone just need to be there. That's all I care about. Do what makes you happy, but just know that no one's holding you back from what it is that you want to do to make yourself happy. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's amazing. hmm so where can people find more about you? Oh, geez. <laughs> well, obviously I do have my social media accounts. If anyone just kind of wants to follow on Instagram. and But no uh, mean comments. <laughs> <laughs> no mean comments allowed. Will not read. <laughs> I mean, obviously Instagram. I think it's just Andy Petrillo 33. I mean, that's where you can see a lot of just what I'm doing, the pictures and, and you know, the stories of what my next adventure in sports is. And then, of course, if, you know, you want to uh, leaf lunch, you know, that uh, it streams online. So you can listen to it anywhere in the world. But that's noon Eastern to 2 p.m., Monday to Friday. And then Saturday and Sundays, usually on the weekends, I work for CBC Sports. And we cover all kinds of high-profile sports from skiing to short track speed skating to bobsleigh. You know, you name it. We're in the full winter swing of things now as we get ready for the Summer Olympics. We'll start getting into the summer sports come April, uh, getting ready for Japan. So Very then cool. you can catch me on the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> That's so exciting. Well, you are a game changer and a role model for so many people. So thank you so much for chatting with me. Oh, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> 